Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 1,000 Recordings podcast number 10. Number 10. (laughs) So we're up. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't be celebrating that much for number 10, but... And it's kind of a milestone. It, um, it's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Number 10. Um, with us, as always, is my co-host, the iridescent Mitchell Davis. What's up? How's it going? It's it's good to see you. Good, good to hear you. Uh, good to be back after a little bit of a hiatus. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah, definitely good to be back. And uh, this week, we've got... Well... Just like you were saying, um, just when we were talking before the show, uh, we've got four albums this week and then another one of these songs. You know, mm-hmm. Tom Moon does this occasionally when it, obviously he wants his listeners or listeners, his readers to focus on one specific song that he wants them to, uh, he wants to make sure that they hear this one specific song. So um, this week we've got an album from Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. Then Africa Bombada's Planet Rock. That's the single song that we have um, this week. Then uh, The Band, their album, The Band. Uh, Then uh, an album uh, put out by the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra of the music of Samuel Barber and Rafe Von Williams. And then Salsa Dude. (laughs) That's terrible Uh, description. (laughs) (laughs) Saul's a legend Ray Ray Barreto so uh, yeah yeah let's let's start with um, Hank Ballard and this guy was a rock and roll pioneer uh, started in the early 50s and um, what do you think of I don't know what's your take on Hank Ballard Uh, just a a great example of, of very early fledging fledgling rock and roll music uh where the focus seemed to be obviously on you know you know great rhythm guitar work and uh doo-wop singing and and usually uh always piano and horns as well um and uh i think like hank ballard uh probably doesn't probably get a lot of the credit maybe that he deserves for his early influence on a lot of other rock and roll artists uh like like maybe even bill haley and and buddy holly uh but but a lot of what he did i think influenced you know them for sure and um you know reading about him uh before we did the podcast he uh he apparently had a a series of songs where uh one his his first hit songs where it was it was more like the the midnighters or i think it was the midnighters his his group um they had a song called work with me annie and that song went on to a bunch of other songs with with annie in the title and uh i think that was like his initial kind of like you know claim to fame where you know he had he had all these songs with with annie in the title Uh uh-huh um yeah yeah but uh anyway just uh you know just an awesome singer you know awesome arranger uh you know, lots of lots of really good music that came out in the early, I guess, the fifties. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and this album that we're going to be talking about is Singing and Swinging with Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, released in 1959. And the first track we're going to listen to is Teardrops on Your Letter. And this is kind of uh, the prototypical 50s kind of teenage angst, um, slow, doo-wop sort of... uh, I don't know, goopy, sappy love. You know what I mean? Uh, well, and and it's funny you should say that because you know when when you when you normally will hear a song like you say say the goofy and sappy that that's kind of what I thought too. But when you're really really missing somebody, I, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been there at that point where you're just you're you you're so in love with you know whoever. Then all of a sudden, this song has a different relevance <laughs> you know yeah it, that's it, true definitely very very slow you know you know very kind of you know you know emotions out you know out of front he's just basically expressing his he, he's missing his baby and she's missing him and you know I, I could tell by you know the way you the way you you know teared up when we last saw each other you know blah 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 and you know, it's it's definitely a, you know a perspective song where you know it can it can either be just extremely corny, you know, or it can just be like you know, glowing like the sun, where you're all of a sudden you're like, man, that 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 song is they're talking about me, you know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you're yeah you're absolutely right. I mean, um, I think yeah, if you were a person going through this and then listening to this song, yeah, it would have a whole different impact on oh, yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're right for sure. Um so let's check this out. Um this is Teardrops on Your Letter. See, see 
And we just heard Teardrops on Your Letter by Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. And we're going to move on to their song called Sweet Mama Do Right. Um, this is definitely uh, a lot more up-tempo, um, kind of straight blues-based tune. Uh, the lyrics are something that Hank Ballard and the Midnighters became kind of known for in the 50s. They're sort of, uh, you know, a little tongue-in-cheek, you know, is it sexual, is it not? You know, they, they became the, uh, sort of known as a very risque band in the 50s mm-hmm. with a, a lot of these lyrics and a lot of radio stations at the time refused to play a lot of their songs, you know, because of this, you know, these risque Damn lyrics. rock and roll music. <laughs> uh, I know, dude, corrupting the youth and um, making them dance and having those tingly feelings in there, whatever. But, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, this is this is uh, definitely one of those songs and basically a real kind of upbeat, feel-good, almost party-like song. And, yeah. Yeah, and uh, well, what's what's funny is the... Oh, I I know we're podcasting and 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 dealing with different issues, but I've never been a big fan of the FCC. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just it's just one of those things where yeah. their their view on what is and isn't appropriate for people to listen to has always bothered me. And you know, I understand. I mean, the, you know, because there are certain things that I'm I'm sort of I guess you would call conservative about. And then there's certain things I'm a lot more liberal liberal about, but uh, just the the things that they they deem, you know, I guess unsavory, if you will, it just makes me scratch my head. And I mean, going back and and looking at what they were, you know, focusing on in in Hank Ballard's songs, you know, I I just I just laugh, you know, <laughs> at what they thought was, you know not right for the public and I, I think a lot of what they do is guesswork anyway you know where they they may not even really know the music i mean they they have people maybe that inform them but i think sometimes the people that make the the decisions anyway are just ill-informed you know oh They're definitely just, anyway, my two cents on the fcc yeah no i agree uh, with you yeah. totally and, and it it you know it taps into uh just you know the american conservatism which is still going on and, and and then back in this time especially too you know there's a lot of racism in there too um which yeah. you know we all we all know that and um uh yeah i mean this uh, this same kind of thing continued even when we were kids in the 80s you know i remember uh the oh what were they called you know it was it was uh, headed by tipper gore remember this oh yeah tmrc yeah the PMRC, yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, and, and they were holding these huge hearings in Washington with the Senate over uh, heavy metal records and and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the famous yeah. the famous trial where um, you know I remember John Denver came and you know uh-huh. and, and testified like passionately and and he had like he was under in no danger from these people at all. You know, like his no. music wasn't. Um, even being no. looked at, but he, you know he still came, and then other a lot of other artists, Frank Zappa and D. Snyder from Twisted Sister, all, all yeah. these all these people. Yeah, I, I specifically remember that D. D. Snyder and Frank Zappa both. Yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> but but that, it was great. I mean, especially having 
having Frank there too. Frank was, I mean, he's already he's so smart. I mean, just having him get up there and basically let them know, like, look, all y'all are doing is trying to put a fire out with gasoline. You know, yeah. The, the more you you focus on, you know, what people shouldn't be listening to. Some of the some of the artists that they were attacking, no one had even heard of them. Yeah, this this the propelled PRC, them. <laughs> yeah, brought them to the limelight, so to speak, of the spotlight. And all of a sudden, some of these groups were like, "Hey, thanks a lot." You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, ki- no kidding. And yeah, this is definitely something that you know, because musicians are, uh, for some reason, uh, you know, a little more perceptive than a lot of other people, and they tend to sing about whatever they're feeling. And so, yeah, a lot of people have had to come up against the FCC and, you know, unless you're like Amy Grant or something, you know, you're probably going to have to come up against them at some point. You know what I mean? Well, and yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a good point also too, where, you know, you know, certain, certain styles of music don't get attacked as much as others, uh, which obviously is, that's not fair. But then, like you said, that's where, you know, somebody like John Denver, who, you know, the late John Denver, stepping up basically saying you know what you guys are doing is not right i mean you know i'm sure john denver probably probably i would guess didn't listen to to two live crew you know (laughs) but even so he probably would be upset that you know they were being you know picked on so to speak where you know they they couldn't sell their records i mean obviously that that's a whole nother story where where luther campbell and, and those guys went through they went through some major legal issues you know back in the late 80s and early 90s where you know the the government came in and you know shut down the record label and you know we're gonna find them all this these, these insane fines and but anyway i mean yeah you know it, it was just one of those things where it's like you know what you know if, if there's a if there's a late a label on the record you know which they that speaking of pmrc that that was something that they they kind of helped foster you know that says that hey you know this is not for kids you know your kids are not supposed to be listening to this and if they do you know you should you should pay attention to what your kids are listening to not not just, you know, have the government, you know, have to parent your children. And I, and I know that sometimes that's easier said than done, yeah. you know, where, where parents are, are busy. I'm, I'm, I'm a witness to that. But at the same time, I, you know, I still listen to what my kids listen to, you know, and I may not like it. And if I hear something I really don't like, then I'm like, you know, don't listen to that. That's, that's awful. What's what's the matter with you? You know, because because some kids are just listening to stuff. I, I I know that too. I mean, I listen to a lot of stuff just because sometimes my my friends were listening to it or just I was just tired of what I was listening to on the radio. You know, but yeah. but anyway, back to you know the point of conversation. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's there's just one other thing I wanted to mention, but just because we're on this topic, um, for for just the listeners, there is a fantastic video on YouTube of Frank Zappa in I think 1986 appearing on CNN's Crossfire and they're discussing this very issue the PMRC the you know the banning of records and all this stuff and it's a bunch of right-wing conservative dudes and Frank Zappa and he just owns them all 
yeah, on this thing. I love, and and I, it just if guy. you're interested in this issue, go to YouTube and just search for that. It's it's so so worth watching. But um <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, back to Hank Ballard in the Midnighters. Um one of the earliest groups to have to deal with this kind of crap. Um <laughs> <laughs> let's let's listen to this song. Uh this uh their sweet mama do right by Hank Ballard in the Midnighters. <laughs> heard sweet mama do right by hank ballard in the midnighters and we're going to move on to africa bombada uh and his soul sonic force their song uh planet rock <laughs> Sorry, uh, uh yeah whatever um yep yep uh so yeah this song uh when i was looking in the book in uh tom moon's book it says that the release date for this was 1986. I'm thinking, that's no, that's too late. And so I I did some research, and the song itself was actually released in 1982. Yeah, um, the, right. yeah. The the album that I guess um, Tom Moon is talking about the the, the official album on uh, Tommy Boy Records was released in '86, I guess. But yeah. it was ori- originally 1982 released, and. Uh, yeah, man. What do you think of this? Yeah, the the original release was it was just probably like a twelve inch where the the record came out in a variety of formats where the the song had different mixes. Uh, and I mean the the thing about this song too, there there are two basic versions of the song that I I think about when I think about this song. The what I think of is the vocal where where you hear you know Africa Bambada and Soul Sonic Force kind of you know rapping over the song, and then there's an instrumental version. You know, more like it's not really like a dub version, but it's it, it's a longer version where they you hear more of uh you know Bambata's you know keyboard work and a, and an electronic you know side and and I I like that instrumental version uh probably more than the vocal one and it, it, it's just one of those songs that I mean is it's just really it was really like there at the beginning of hip-hop as far as radio i mean because because rap music and, and hip-hop you know you know i i feel like started in 
in New York in the South Bronx where where Bambada's from. And um, you know, it was just one of those songs. It, it was it was like the cornerstone for for a lot of people who were into you know rapping, DJing, breakdancing, and and graffiti work, which are are like the four you know sort of like you know tools of of hip hop, if you will. And um, you know, I I think his influence is is is, is tremendous. You know, as, as yeah. far as how he helped influence you know guys that came after him and um even some guys maybe that that were even before him they, they he has a song that he does with james brown called unity um that came out some years after you know and i mean that's that's a whole nother story in itself too where where if, if you if you ever listen to the james brown box set you know especially like the the third and fourth disc and that box set it's like the blueprint for hip hop music where you know guys that first started you know mixing records with a crossfader you know um like dj cool herc who was like a, a, another guy from the south bronx he was mixing james brown records and uh you know african bambada like I said came from that same you know that that same cloth so to speak where you know that hip hop owes him a lot you know rap music rappers nowadays that are still you know, on top, Jay Z and Lil Wayne, and they owe Africa Bambata big time. I feel like, oh you yeah, know? and he he's just a he's a really smart guy. I mean, you know, if you ever sit sit and listen to him talk, I mean, he's got so much wisdom just on on you know black culture and the culture really of, of this country, you know, and 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 how things have kind of been, I don't know distorted if you will but i i just i love africa bambata yeah yeah and he was um and you can correct me if i'm wrong here but i think he was kind of one of the original um samplers so there's a uh, you know there's samples from pulled from other sources in this you know used in this track yeah which I, became I like say, a staple you know really of of hip-hop definitely you know definitely was was one of the one of the first innovators of of, of kind of you know I guess you would call sample beats or tracks like the the main kind of refrain in this song uh, comes from a Kraftwerk song um, and I man it's it's slipping my mind right now what song it is it was on that um, I think it's Trans Europe Express uh, yeah, is, yeah is the song. I think you're it, right I think you're right yeah if you listen to Trans Europe Express I mean you hear that that keyboard lick in Planet Rock as well. And I mean, he just kind of put his own uh, spin on it. And, um, you know, it was one of those things where he, he was in a studio with a guy, uh, John Robbie, uh, who, who produced some records for, for New Order and, or I think did some, did some remixes for New Order. And they, you know, just, I don't know if, if they thought what they were doing was going to be considered legendary, but you know, I mean, it went on to be just one of those songs that just got played on the radio. I mean, heavy, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the early 80s. Yeah, and it wasn't just, I mean, you know, the the reach of this song is uh, really, once you get into it, it's kind of staggering. I mean, because it wasn't just a proto sort of blueprint for hip hop. It was also for a lot of different electronic and dance genres and techno and a lot of club music. And it just... Yeah 
man, it was so pervasive across, you know, so many different genres. You know, this one song sort of branched out. Yeah. Yeah, had definitely yeah. had a major effect effect on on a variety of, of musical styles. I'd agree with that, definitely. Awesome. Well, um you wanna just roll it? Yeah, this this is this is Africa Bambata uh from the Zulu Nation with Planet Rock. heard uh the planet rock from africa bambata and uh uh what do we have next we have the what was it st louis symphony orchestra um playing samuel barber and ray von williams um man we got you know now that we're in the bees in this book um we've got a lot of classical music Mm. (laughs) Uh, for some reason um you know, a lot of the major composers of classical music, their last names started with B. You know, mm. I don't know why, but, you know, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Barber, Britton, um, you know, a lot of Tyrant. a lot of names. <laughs> so, um, in fact, yeah, next week we've got um, some classical music, too. But anyway, um, yeah, this album, uh, Tom Moon talks about the Samuel Barber piece, the Adagio for Strings. And uh, so we're going to definitely play an excerpt from that. But also on this album is a piece by Rafe Von Williams, um, his uh, Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis. And that's also a, just an awesome piece. So we're going to play an excerpt from that as well. Yeah. Um, yeah so Samuel Barber, uh, you know, lived from 1910 to 1981, um, one of the major American composers uh classical music in the last century 
and uh, you know he he had the typical upbringing, got into music pretty early. But I wanted you to read you this uh, letter that I found that he wrote to his mother when he was nine years old. I can't imagine doing something like this when you're nine <laughs> years old. But here's this letter he wrote to his mom in when he was nine years old. He says, "Dear mother, I've written this to tell you my worrying secret." Now don't cry when you read it, because it is neither yours nor my fault. I suppose I will have to tell it now without any nonsense. To begin with, I was not meant to be an athlete. I was meant to be a composer, and will be, I'm sure. I'll ask you one more thing. Don't ask me to try to forget this unpleasant thing and go play football, please. Something I've been worrying about this so much uh, that it makes me mad. (laughs) So that's a letter that he wrote to his mom when he was nine. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, yeah, he, he did definitely become a, a composer. Um, yeah, I can't imagine like just coming to that realization when you're when you're that young. He had his mind made up, obviously. That's, he, yeah. he sounded pretty certain. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, please don't make me go out and play football. That's funny. But um, yeah, yeah. This uh, what did you think of this track? His adagio for strings. Well, well, I, I definitely, uh, I was I was familiar with this track uh, for sure. I mean, this is one of those songs. I mean, you you've heard it in like a variety of films and yeah, and even TV programs. the The first thing that comes to my mind when I first heard it, uh, because I, I wasn't even able to associate the title with the actual piece until until I heard it, was was Platoon. You know, I mean that's. I mean, the, that first scene in Platoon where they, you know, Charlie Sheen and the rest of those guys are getting off that plane, you hear that piece. Yeah. And um, it was so, it was so perfect for what they were doing in that movie or what Oliver Stone was trying to do in that movie. And it just totally set the tone uh, for the beginning of that movie. And then, like I said, you know, people have used it again and again and again. I mean, it's a very obviously influential piece of music you know that that has you know not lost its influence at all you know over the years uh if anything it's probably gotten a lot more popular um but uh, i i love it i mean just you know really really somber but but really beautiful at the same time you know oh yeah i mean um this is one of those classical music pieces that kind of most people have heard, although they, they, they might not know, you know, who it was written by or, or anything like that. But um, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so it's one of those that's gotten out. And yeah, Oliver Stone, uh, Oliver Stone's movie Platoon definitely propelled this piece like way into the popular consciousness. Um, and uh, like you said, it's, it was kind of perfect for that movie. Um, it's really one of the most... Uh, I don't know, emotionally heart-wrenching sort of melodies, really, ever. Um, yeah, yeah. Reading reading about him, uh, and I think this this piece in particular, it was one of those songs that that cut across, you know, all sorts of of barriers. Like during apparently during the Cold War, the uh, the Soviet government, you know, it was. It was one of the only pieces by an American composer that they they would play during, you know, sort of like you know these prestigious government 
you know, happenings or whatever, you know, they, they liked it that much, you know, they, you know, they were like, you know, Hey man, we got to play this. You know, I don't care if he's, you know, American or what, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. I mean, especially, yeah. During the cold war to be able to, uh, um, bring a piece from an American over there. Yeah. That that's pretty amazing. So, uh, let's check this out. Uh, this excerpt from Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings. And we just heard Adagio for Strings by Samuel Barber. And we're going to move on to a piece by Rafe Von Williams. Um, looks like Ralph, but it's, you know, Rafe like Voldemort. Um, so Rafe Von Williams, um, a, he lived, uh, I think, 1872 to 1958. So roughly contemporary with Barber, you know, uh, a little older. And uh, this piece is based on the tune of an earlier British composer. So Vaughn Williams was British. And uh, during this time in Britain, around the turn of the century, I'd say 1900, there was this big interest in kind of rediscovering British music that had been lost for a long time uh, and, and sort of rediscovering a kind of British identity for music. Uh, which they felt had been lost, you know, over uh, the the previous couple hundred years. And so Von Williams um, was involved in sort of unearthing all this really old music. And one of the composers that he liked a lot was Thomas Tallis. And Thomas Tallis lived uh, in the 16th century in England. So he he worked for like Henry VIII and and much later uh, Queen Elizabeth and um, one of the major composers of that period. Um, 
In fact, if you've ever watched uh, the Showtime show, The Tudors, um, he's an actually a character in that show. I don't know, I thought that was interesting. But anyway, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he took this uh, piece for choir of Thomas Tallis and took that melody and then created this piece, you know, kind of based on that that melody of Thomas Tallis. Um, and this is another one that's been used in a lot of movies um, and television and all that kind of stuff. Um, the I think the last movie I saw that I, I know they used it a lot was this movie called, I think it was called Master and Commander or something like that. It had Russell yeah, Crowe. Yeah, Russell, Russell Crowe, yeah. Yeah, they used this a lot in that movie. Um, it's interesting that they used... Uh, this piece in that movie, this just came to my mind, but I, I read that um, Charles Darwin was Von Williams' great uncle. And in, hmm. in that movie, they, you know, they go um, to the Galapagos Islands and all that stuff. And sort of the, the one doctor dude is kind of studying the life there, kind of like Charles Darwin did. Anyway, I don't know. That mm-hmm. was just a side thought. But what did you think yeah. of this? Um, very grand piece. Um, I had not really been that familiar with it myself. Uh, I, I thought I'd heard it in a movie, but as I tried to look through, I mean, cause Master and Commander, that's a movie I'm familiar with, but I, I, I've maybe seen it once a long time ago, but I, I was like, man, I, I know I've heard this before. And I can't remember exactly where, but I, I love the way, uh, you know, reading, uh, in the description of where they have the, the strings kind of separated into into three sections, and um, like you said, the way it was it was made for a choir, and and how they they separate them, you know, to kind of play off of each other. I, I like that a lot. And uh, you know, like I said, it, it was it was my first time really, you know, kind of really hearing the piece where I, I recognized it for what it was, and uh, you know, really awesome. Um, you know, and, and for what I know about classical music, I mean, I, I, I liked it a whole lot. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, this is just, I love this piece too. It's just kind of, like you said, grand and lush and beautiful. And so let's just check it out. Um, this is Rafe von Williams, uh, Fantasia on a theme of Thomas Tallis performed by the St. Louis symphony orchestra.
And we just heard Fantasia on a theme of Thomas Tallis by Rafe Von Williams. And we're going to move on to our third album, The Band, their self-titled album released in 1969. Um, and this, you know, huge group from the late 60s, um, kind of hippie movement, I would say. Um, yeah, what do you think of The Band? Um they're I, I they're very storied. Uh, I mean, yeah. I, I just reading about them and the, the last couple of weeks and, and knowing what I knew prior to, to us doing this. I mean, they 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 have a lot of issues. Uh, made some great music. One of the only bands that I've I've seen like them where each member plays a variety of instruments on their own. You know, they were all very talented talented guys you know Levon Helm and and um ooh Robbie I want I want to say I know it's not Robbie Robbie Robertson yeah um just all guys that you know kind of came together and you know loved love soul music love rock and roll love country music love the blues and and took all of that and kind of made like a you know something all their own you know and, uh, you know, in the days, I think that, you know, they were kind of prominent, you know, they, as far as I could tell, weren't really, you know, selling a lot, a lot of records, but was still managing to, to be very popular, especially with, with a lot of people who are music critics, I guess. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, had a, a history with Bob Dylan, where they, they went on tour with Bob Dylan here in the United States and. And then over in Europe, um, where, you know, some people, you know, it was Bob Dylan, I guess, his transition from kind of, you know, acoustic folk music to more kind of electric folk or, or blues or rock, which he, you know, he and the band didn't really get a very positive reception, especially in, in, in England. They were very, I mean, they were brutal. Um, wow. I mean, he, you know, Bob Dylan kind of, you know, went on and did what he did, you know, just from spite. But anyway, um, uh, there was a back in the day when we used to work at that store where we used to work. Um, there was a lady that that was with us there that used to always talk about the band. Uh, her name was Lisa. Uh, she, apparently they they had some intention also where uh it was hard for them to tour and, 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 and record after a while. And, and then got to a point where they, they broke up and got back together. And, but, um, you know, just, I, I guess that happens with a lot of bands, but I, I think with this band, it, the tension was mainly between Robbie and, and, and Levon Helm. Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, just from, from what I've seen, just in, in kind of documentaries and stuff, I think Levon still wanted to keep the band as was and Robbie was more interested in going on to do different things, which like I said, that, that happens with a lot of bands, you know, but, um, I, I love the way that they, especially the, the, the way they mix country and, and soul music. I mean, I, I've never seen anybody do it quite like them. You know, they, they definitely have a love for both. And, um, you know, even even at times it, 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 it almost has a, a, a gospel feel to it, but, but definitely, Definitely very, very southern, uh, bluesy. I mean, it's just 
they they have all kinds of stuff going on, you know, where they 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 just take the the roots of what rock and roll is about and, and dig a lot deeper than than some bands did, you know, where where you talk about where rock and roll came from, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the first song we're going to listen to is Up on Cri- Cripple Creek. Um and uh I don't know, to me this song kind of had a a hint of Zydeco, uh, a hint of funk. I mean, there's like this that keyboard, you know, that Stevie Wonder used so much in the 70s. You know what I yeah, mean? Like but but here head. It, it just it sounds like so different even though it's like the same timbre but it's it's the context is so different that i don't know and then there's like a hint of hillbilly in this song you yeah. know uh and these songs are so story driven every one is a you oh know, yeah a story and um i think you know i looked up the lyrics to this and um i think this song is just about alcohol I think that's what it is. I think it's like his his lady alcohol, basically. Um, uh, I think that's what it is. And if someone can corroborate that or dispute that, you know, send us an email. And because I'm not, I'm not totally sure. But um, yeah, up on up on cripple cripple. Oh man, I cannot talk today. <laughs> up on Cripple Creek. Um, what do you uh, think of this one? basically what what you said i mean it it definitely has a has a groove to it where you 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 might you might hear you know louisiana and you know but but still it they like i said they're just one of those bands and i mean i think that's one of the things that kind of made them popular but but not popular i mean you know they they definitely had had a following of, of people that that loved them but you know they were not your average you know rock and roll band by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, they, you know, they, they looked, you know, a lot like what you would consider, you know, kind of, like you said, kind of hillbilly-ish or, or country, but, you know, they didn't sound that way all the time. I mean, they, they, they had, a, they had a groove to them for sure. And I mean, you know, just, they went on to, to kind of, you know, have the, their peers, so to speak, you know, like them more so than than a lot of, I guess, what you would call record buying people. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, um, you know, the obviously Bob Dylan, and, you know, and then you know some of the Beatles and and Johnny Mitchell, which you'll you kind of see they had a movie they did uh, called The Last Waltz, where there's just a, I mean, a ton of people that that are in that movie that you know loved them, you know, for what they were and what they were doing and and just the fact that it was just good music, you know, and I, I think that's one of the things that will always walk with them is that they were they were really great musicians, you know, you know, and and the genres of music that that they focused on, they were it was just all roots type music, you know, blues, country, you know, yeah. soul, just, yeah. you know, and and that that's not something that you you would see a lot of, I guess, you know, from a band like that. Yeah, definitely, and we'll, yeah, let's just check out this first song. But yeah, you can you can definitely hear just pieces of all that roots music. I think all in this first song, you can hear it all almost. Um, so yeah. yeah, this is up on Cripple Creek by the band. When I get on. 
this mountain You know where I wanna go Straight down the Mississippi River To the Gulf of Mexico To Lake Charles, Louisiana Little Bessie girl I once knew And she told me just to come on by If there's anything that she could do heard up on cripple creek and we're going to move on to the second excerpt from the band uh the night they drove old dixie down um this is another a really powerfully evocative kind of story driven song um and it's uh about the civil war from kind of the uh southern point of view uh you know about the end of the civil war and and uh, the kind of after effects uh, that it would have on, on you know, like an, an, an individual person, you know, personally. Uh, so it's kind of a song filled with uh, some pride, but also a lot of sadness and, and uh, regret and longing and um, a kind of longing for, you know, how things were, you know, before the war and... Um, yeah, I don't know. It's what do you think of this? Well, I I, I agree with you on that. I, I think it's just the, the the focus is on you know you know having to transition through things that you know are not necessarily easy, um, which in 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 this case, I mean, obviously, you know, when you, when you think about civil war and, and and you know North and South and you know, for the for the most part, I mean, you, you're going to take one side or the other, but for sometimes it's not all that easy. And uh, when you when you have a life that is a certain way, and you have that all taken away from you, you know, it it can reflect so many things. You know, I mean, I I think um, like you said, really the the storytelling element of of the band is is also something that that a lot of people really, really loved and, and focused on, you know, at times it, some of the, their lyrics, you know, like you say, you, you have to really look at them and, and try to figure out what they're saying. Like, like the weight, uh, probably the band, one of their most popular songs, you know, it, it almost seems abstract in, in, in the writing, you know, sometimes, but I mean, I'm sure they, you know, they had a clearer meaning than, than what a lot of people would know. But anyway, um, you know, I I think that you know they they just take elements, like I said, of the of the blues in in this song and 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 soul and, and country and 
and and fuse them together again and, and you know use that to kind of bring out their their feelings on you know how all the you know post-civil war goings on went through you know people's lives and and, and how it affected them uh yeah yeah you know, for the positive or the negative i guess yeah and there's a great video of this um on youtube of them playing this live from the film that you mentioned, The Last Waltz. And uh, you get to see one of the great drummer singers, Levon Helm. Yeah, um, he's good. Man, you don't see this anymore. Like, like it seemed like in the 60s and the 70s, you saw this quite a bit, you know, drummers that were singers. Um, you saw it with the yeah. Eagles and, um, yeah. and, and other groups. And, uh, yeah, it's just something you don't see anymore for some reason, or I haven't. No. Not really, not not like that. I mean, again, like I said, they they were they were just an interesting interesting group. I mean, the, the more I read about them, and the more I I, I kind of research them, the the more I kind of get into them. I mean, you know, trying to figure out who was doing what, and and and, it, and like I said, definitely the 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 dynamic of of how they were splitting, and and why they were splitting. Um, you know, uh, I I've seen some interviews with, with Levon Helm where he, he still seems like that the way they, they went apart, it bothers him, you know, the way, you know, I, I know that, that he, he definitely wanted to keep things the way they were that lineup, but, but Robbie Robertson was just, you know, he was just ready to do other stuff. And he, he seems like that. I guess they, they may not be, they may not be the closest of friends even now, you know? Um, but, uh, you know, when they were together, I mean, they they had something really, really special. It seemed like, yeah. You know, as it, with the original lineup. I mean, I I know that they've done some albums since. I want to say even like in the kind of like in the mid '90s when we we were still working together. I remember a, a record coming out from the band. Um, I want to say that was like '90 '94 '95. That was it was mainly like Levon Helm. You know his version of the band without Robert Ross, and it was a good record, you know. But it, you know, it it was not the same, it, you know, band of the old, yeah, you know, sixties and seventies or whatever. But, um, you know, I I I definitely want to watch the last waltz. I I want to say I've seen that movie, but it's been a long time. I definitely want to watch that again, and 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 try to you know, you know, rediscover you know, kind of what what they were what they were doing yeah, at that I'd like, period. And when. I'd really like to see it. I've never seen it. I mean, I know I've never seen it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to watch it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, anyway, let's check this out. Um, our second track from the band, The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down. Virgil Kane is a name and I served on the Danville train Till Stormer's Cavalry came and tore up the tracks again In the winter of 65 We were hungry, just barely alive By May the 10th, the Richmond had fell It's a time I remember oh so well The night they drove Oh, Dixie down And 
just heard the night they drove old dixie down from the band and we're going to move on to our last cd for today ray barretto and his release barretto power from 1972 um ray barretto was a band leader um uh born in new york city but of puerto rican descent and uh he was really a legend in a lot of Latin American styles, especially salsa. Um, and this, this album is just, it's, it's great. It's a great album. I'd never heard this album, uh, before, you know, I started listening to it for this week and, uh, man, what a super tight band this guy had. Oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. especially like the, the rhythm section, their horn section is just, man, just can't get any tighter than this. It's, uh, what do you what did you think of this album? Um, I, I agree. Just awesome, awesome percussion. Uh, you know, awesome groove. I I think uh, the the thing that that I I like the most is that you know it just it just makes you just want to get up and and dance even if you don't know how to dance and um, yeah. <laughs> you know just uh you know. Everybody, you know, everybody's singing in the band. You know, you 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 hear, you know, so much going on with the the, you know, the piano, like the salsa style piano, and um, you know, I I think that, you know, from from what I I gather, he he's just one of those guys that that was you know, but basically taking salsa music and and kind of, you know, bringing it to, I would say a. a a crowd that that really wasn't familiar with salsa music initially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I when when I listen to what he's doing, you know, I, I you know, it kind of reminds me sometimes of uh, of how some group there were some groups in that that period, maybe like Carl Santana a little bit, and and War that 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 kind of had you know a similar style, you know, because I mean, you know, he he kind of had a I think a broader appeal for for salsa music than maybe some other artists, uh, from from what I've heard, you know. Anyway, but uh, yeah, like yeah, said, very, 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 very tight musicians, you know, very, very together, you know, awesome arrangements, really good music. Yeah, I mean, I always, uh, well, always in the past week, um, I can just imagine what a show, going to a show with these guys during this time, must have been like. You know, it must have been yeah. really exciting. I mean, this great band, and you know, people were dancing, and that would have been really cool to see. I think. Yeah, I bet, I bet, definitely. Um, so let's start with this track, "Oye la Noticia," um, and uh, just like I said, you know, great rhythm and brass, especially in this piece. Um, and this is just salsa. I mean, this is just an awesome example. This, this is salsa. I, I can't really say much else about it you know this is just yeah yeah let's just check it out um this is oye la noticia from ray barreto Una vez más que ha 
La Noticia by Ray Barreto. And we're going to move on to his song, Right On. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Santana earlier. And in my notes for this song, I wrote down, this is like Santana without Santana. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it, it seems like, uh, it seems like you know, Barreto was, was making a conscious effort to kind of reach an American audience with this record. You know, and yeah. introduce them to the salsa and stuff. And then with tracks like this that were, you know, all sung in English and with a kind of funkier feel uh, of evocative of some of the other stuff that was going on at the same time. And mm-hmm. yeah, to- totally agree with you. Exactly. Like I said, I just I, I think he, he wanted to, to bring salsa, you know, you know, definitely to a public that maybe, you know, had no really desire possibly at first to listen to any kind of Latin jazz or salsa music. And, and I, I think that was very deliberate. The The record label, I think that the record we're listening to or focused on uh, was a record label called Fania, um, which, you know, if, if you've listened to any kind of, of, of salsa or Latin jazz type music, you know, Fania is, is one of those record labels that, that I mean, they, they were they were awesome they they had just a a great stable of artists uh celia cruz uh ruben blades uh bobby valentin as well as ray that you know were all very very big in you know latin music world so um you know that was just one of those things that you know kind of came to my attention too when i i looked at the the cover and i saw that that little Fania logo, I was like, wait a minute, I, I've seen that before. And then, you know, kind of, you know, looking at that and seeing all the people who were who were tied to that label, I was like, oh, okay. They even had um, uh, Fania, I think Latin All-Stars. They were like a group of, of people all on that label that that recorded, you know, songs together. Um, yeah. And, I, you know, Ray was a part of that. So, you know, just a really, really, you know, big influence on on latin music 
you know, especially in the in the 60s and the 70s where, you know, things were, were definitely more kind of funky and, you know, Afro-Cuban, Caribbean type music was, was kind of, you know, changing along with everything else in music. So, um, yeah. But like I said, this, this song, it, you know, it, it it definitely seems to have a, a, a broader appeal than you know the the Latin community. I mean, for me, it does. You know, because that that right on. That's not hard to not hard to understand. Right, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, and yeah, I love the um, the album cover. You know, it's got this kind of trippy psychedelic art that you know mm-hmm. so many album covers of this time had. You know, I, I love those album covers. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's check this out. The uh, last excerpt from Barreto Power. This is right on. just heard right on from ray barreto and that's going to do it for this week for our five albums this week um if you'd like to send us an email you can do so at 1000 recordings podcast at gmail.com you can visit our website at 1000 rp.blogspot.com you can follow us on twitter at twitter.com slash 1000 rp and you can join our page on facebook um where we post uh some additional bonus tracks and other things um and we got another five-star review this week on itunes that we're gonna read and uh do you want to read this or do you want me to uh would you please (laughs) yeah sure so uh we got a new five-star review this week from listener randall cork it's titled time for class and it says uh every week my wife and I go to class and learn a lot. These guys know their stuff. And the more we learn, the more fun we have listening to the music. Thanks. So that's, thank you, Randall. That's, uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. That's a great review. Um, and we appreciate that. And, uh, if you'd like to leave us a review, you know, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review and, uh, and we will read it on the show. So yeah, we, we appreciate those. Um, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So uh, next week, um, oh man, I'm excited again. <laughs> uh, we've got three albums from one of my favorite composers ever, Bella Bartok. Uh, we'll get into that next time. Cool. 
we've got this album uh, from Italian uh, singer Cecilia Bartoli uh, doing Vivaldi. And, and I uh, I don't know if you remember, but I uh, I linked this video on the uh, page, you know, for the um, 1000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die page. Do you remember that? I think I do remember that. Uh, that was the one... Um... How long ago? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Cecilia Bartoli has got one of the craziest, uh, most agile, most facile voices I've ever seen. Oh yeah, and I'm I'm definitely familiar with her. Yeah, but I I was just talking about the link that you say. Yeah. Oh, I I I know who she is. I mean, wow. She's uh, the 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 thing that comes to my mind when I think about her is that she must have throat muscles and and, <laughs> and muscles in her face and her head that that are just unreal i mean the yeah. things that she can do with her voice and uh it's yeah it's yeah. crazy yeah so we'll we'll hear that next week and then it's going to end with count basie and so i'm, I'm looking right. forward to next week man I, I think it's it's got great stuff um for next week definitely and uh yeah yeah, yeah. so um any parting words mitch um glad to have number 10 in a can uh it's uh yeah, definitely it's it's so much fun doing this um you know uh the uh two-week break you know was a little little tough you know just just trying to keep up and 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 make sure that you know we come back with you know you know good material and and the right things to say but uh you know, glad that uh, people are liking the podcast, getting good reviews. You know, even if we get some bad reviews, which I'm I'm sure those are coming. You know, bring them on. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, we appreciate everyone listening, liking us on uh, Facebook. Uh, you know, leaving any kind of messages or whatever. You know, thank you very very much. Yeah, and everybody this week, you know, send some some good email. Uh, Mitch's way. He got his iPhone stolen. So, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Send some good thoughts, um, Mitch's way, and uh, if you're the person that stole his iPhone, you know, give it back to him, man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, that's it. So uh, we will see all of you next week with some great albums. Later, Mitch. All right. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. <laughs>